This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. G'day and welcome to Battle 2 Metal, Metalheads Radio. Local, national and international news, interviews and uh, the latest new releases brought to you by NPR, Battle of Two People's Radio. G'day and welcome to Battle of Two Metal, Metalheads Radio. This week we were lucky enough to first off talk to Terence from the band Suffocation. Uh, then we're going to be having a chat with Stefan from the band Obscura. And lastly, we'll be having a chat with Emma from the band Undying Wish. Uh, the first interview, like I said, was Terence from Suffocation. The interview goes for uh, quite some time. It's a 28-minute interview. So we're just going to kick straight into it. Uh, so without further ado, here is Terence from Suffocation. G'day, we're talking with Terence Hobbs from the band Suffocation. They're about to release their newest live album coming out 20th, uh, sorry, 12th of November, very, very soon, only about three weeks. Now, this uh, this particular live album is um, a sort of a celebration of Frank Mullen's final tour. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we couldn't think of, well, we haven't had a live album out for a very long time. So, you know, the band had its, its share of lineup changes, things coming and going, um, you know, it's share of mayhem, so to speak. And uh, with Frank, you know, he wanted to retire. He's, he's really been talking about it for quite a while. And we had North America pretty much a little over two years ago. So we figured we'd try to get as much live footage, uh, live audio, not footage, because obviously we didn't go with the camera crew, unfortunately. That would have been a fucking mess, but it would have been awesome. <laughs> but uh, uh, just to make a long story short, we, uh, you know, we recorded as many of the shows as we possibly could. Think somewhere between 15 and 20 sifted through them and found the best thing that we could possibly find with frank mullen with us to bring to you guys and uh we had crypt uh christian donaldson from cryptopsy uh do the mixing and mastering for us on it and uh i think it came out pretty good man i think it's a really good representation of what we sound like live especially considering that it's like frank's last hurrah and uh we wanted to make sure that we could bring something uh Something out to you guys, at least to give you a little something of Frank's farewell and uh, the oldies but goodies songs, the ones that he was comfortable on, and uh, you know, just bring it out to you guys, you know. Oh, mate, that's absolutely killer. So, could you tell us a little bit about that final tour and, and how that was? I mean, it must have been a pretty special moment, there. Well, I mean, of course it was special. I mean, it was the same old hijinks as all the time, you know, when it comes down to Frank. Um, you know, we'd go out, we'd play, we'd play a show, uh, get blind, stinking drunk until like six in the morning, have a terrible hangover. And, you know, his old lady was with him, Natalie. So she's the coolest, coolest human being ever. And, uh, you know, she happened to join us for a whole bunch of those shows. And it, it really made it feel very comfortable for Frank. But also, I mean, man, I was probably one of the drunker tours for me, <laughs> you know. Well, that's it. I mean, you guys are celebrating over 30 years now. I yeah. mean, and, and that's an end of an era for him, especially. Yeah, I mean, it must have been some really uh, touching moments, especially that last. I mean, I don't want to make it sound soft. It's a suffocation, but, you know, that last, those last shows, man. I mean, it, it's, it for. I think for the fans, it hits you guys a little bit more um, 
than it does me because I still, you know, hang out with Frank quite yeah. often. So it's not, you know, it's not something that, um, I mean, I, I've, I've already known that this was going to happen for a while. So I guess the gist of it is kind of like off of my, off my shoulders more. And it does suck because, you know, being able to go out on the road with somebody who's like family and, you know, having somebody who's there, you know, in the beginning, creating the music with you and going through it throughout, you know, our lives together, you know, 30 something odd years together, you know, and our friendship is, is, is even longer than that and will stay longer than that. So that's always a good thing, but it's kind of sad because, you know, we always want to have Frank and his stupid hijinks and uh, his corny commentary and all his rest of his shtick every day. Cause he's just one of those funny ass human beings, you know? Oh, mate, that's absolutely fantastic to hear, man. I mean, and that's a lot of it. You've got to, uh, to keep the family alive or the, or the brotherhood alive. You've got to have that, that, that humor and laugh. Yeah. You know, you, know, I mean, you know how it is, as we get older and I mean, you know, we're not spring chickens anymore. Things change. <laughs> it gets harder for vocalists to sing. You know, they rely on their throat. They don't rely on an amp or yep. just their fingers or hands and, you know, just real life things end up coming along that, you know, make it more difficult for people who are musicians seeking their childhood type of dreams and trying to make that reality than what real reality is when you have a real job, family, kids, house, home, um, you know, that whole nine yards. So, I mean, I guess I understand where Frank is coming from. Obviously, I'm I'm just a headstrong musician who's always going to be a musician. It's never going to change, you know, as you can see by my surroundings to some degree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it's it's kind of sad that I, we're going to see him go and not really have him on the stage with us anymore. But because we do most of our own stuff nowadays anyway and recording, maybe we'll try to get him to sing some backups or maybe you guys can call him up and be like, hey, we'll offer you fucking a couple of nickels and a can of soup if you'd sing some backup vocals for us <laughs> you know, one day. And maybe he'll uh, he'll turn around and uh, come out of his come out of his little shell you know sometimes he likes to scream and yell but on the regular i don't think he's into it anymore yeah. <laughs> oh yeah i'm sure it's not the last that we've heard from him hopefully so i would ho- i would hope not I, re- I mean i would be very happy if like you know if he just did something on the side maybe you know did some some side recordings with some other bands that have cool musicians in them you yeah. know what i mean and just get it so his voice is still coming out into the world and people can still hear him but for us, you know, we're constantly writing, we're constantly touring. And, you know, I know it was hard for him to want to let go of this in his own right, you know, but still in the same way, I think it's the best thing for him because it's all a matter of where his head is at. And if his head's not in the game the whole time, then it's not going to really do much good for all of us in the band at the same time. So, Oh, that's right, man. You know, that it's a catch-22, you know, but at least we still, we're still good friends, man. You know, I seen him just the other day, He's still up to his old, same old bullshit. So that's all <laughs> It's fantastic, mate. So, could you tell us maybe two of your your greatest memories of um, being on tour with him, and also um, in the studio? Secondly, so two that's two prong questions. Well, no, well, as far as like really fucked up tour memories, I mean, there was one time we played in California, and we we have quite a few of those really fucked up memories. I'd have to relight <laughs> some of my burnt brain cells to bring them back to light, but. uh you know, we had played out in California one time at this place called the Patriotic Hall, and it was nice, you know, theater, amphitheater, you know, rows of chairs, had its own pit in the front, you know. And at the time, we were young kids, and it was early on in our first shows playing out outside of New York, going out to California and things like that. 
here in the United States. So we go out there and, you know, let alone playing the show and just watching the place get leveled, like just rows and rows of chairs getting pushed back. We all go back out to our hotel rooms and, you know, Josh Barron, our old bass player, who's an Aussie man now himself is out there. Uh, he was with us. Frank was with us. And we all go back to our hotel rooms, partying with all the bands. You know, we've got like 10 rooms in this place from that show with all the different bands of people. And one girl gets really drunk, vomits on Josh, vomits on Josh's bed. <laughs> they have this all on video. And if I could ever find it, because it's probably on like Betamax or VHS. <laughs> you know, this is so long ago. I'm dating my greatness, my boldness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, this girl got wild out, you know, and she literally was screaming rape and everybody's filming it. And they're all like, nobody's touching this girl. So they throw her out of the room. Right. And it's on the second floor balcony of this hotel. Next thing you know, boom, the window comes crashing in. The girl breaks, breaks in the window. Wow. So the cops show up, you know, and I'm like, oh, great. We're all going to jail. This girl's screaming rape the whole nine yards. Yada, yada. And this is so early on. And it turns out that the girl swung on the cop. The cop locked her up. They gave us new rooms. And everything was hunky-dory after that. <laughs> it was just it was just one of those stories where, you know, Frank and Josh and the early band, it's just one of those unforgettable things that we had happen. I mean, we've had buses break down in the middle of the French Alps, you know, in the freezing cold. <laughs> you know, you name it. Just people yeah. doing stupid shit, lighting off fireworks, you know, drunk brawls, you, you name it. So, I mean, with Frank, anything you could probably think of that could have happened on the road probably did somewhere along the way, <laughs> you know. Just use yeah. your imagination and I think you'll get it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So so what would be some of those memories from in the studios? Because, you, you know, you guys would yeah. have had some moments there with the writing and everything and being close in the studio, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> doing things well, well i mean it depends with the studio stuff you know with the studio stuff here in new york because the earlier albums were like were done out of state down in florida with scott burns who we love and adore still um you know thank you for hooking us up with that you the man um you know it was more of a learning experience for us at the time when we were down in the studio so for frank it was very tedious because you know, normally we would just go out and play a set and, you know, he's using all of his lung power all the time. And like, you know, at the end of 45 minutes or hour, 15 minutes or something, you know, everybody's pretty much out of gas because we're all, you know, playing our asses off and putting as much ass into it as we can. And in the studio, having to do take after 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 take. That stuff got kind of tedious on Frank, and it would be so funny because he would just like, you know, bug out thinking that we're just trying to make it hard for him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the engineer's like, no. And, you know, you learn a lot back then, especially with, you know, us being us. We just would have been like, that's perfect, you know? The engineer and the producers are like, I think you better go back to the drawing board, you know? And that happened to me. It's happened to Frank. It's happened to all of us. Somewhere in a point in time, especially with Scott Burns, because he's just he just knows what he's doing. He knows what it takes to get the best out of you, you know. And for me, those times in the studio were some of the best. You know, um, the breeding the spawn era of things were a lot more rockier. We tried an engineer out here. He really didn't know 
what we were about, like Scott. And I think that that really made the production suffer as well as the band itself being like more in turmoil and more at odds, pretty immature, younger, you know, none of us really knew what we were doing. But um, after that, then starting to work with like Joe Zincata and Full Force Studios, our friend out here, um, you know, he really, I mean, he went to school for engineering and things like that. But he also was a, a, a friend of ours and a good sound man, and he lived locally. So we started using him quite a bit. And as time has gone on, we got kind of comfortable using him and using for recording and using somebody like Zach or using somebody like Zeus or, you know, Scott Burns to mix like he did Despise the Sun and do that stuff and using other people. So the studio is usually a very, it's, it's a difficult time for us because... We all want to do the best. And I mean, you know, we're still stuck in that framework of where Scott Burns was like, you got to do this, then you got to do it again. And then you got to make sure you did it right and dot the I's and cross the T's. And that's pretty much where we're at today. You know? Awesome, man. So just taking you back to last century and all that sort of thing. I mean, those early days um, when you first joined the band and all that, I mean, what was it like being back in that uh, death metal and all that was so new and, I mean, we were still coming out of hair metal and, and things like that, you know. All right, right. Well, I mean, for us, for us back in those days, um, of course, we were all young and we had all met in, like, school and things like that, which is how the band actually formed together at that at that time. But, um, you know, we were just young, rambunctious kids. And, yeah, obviously, there was other music that was out that was, uh, excuse me, becoming aggressive. You know, like, let's say... I would have to say, like, you know, the earliest Slayers, Metallicas, uh, Suicidal Tendencies, DRI, Cryptic Slaughter, those bands. And then, obviously, it went into the Creators, the Morbid Angels, and all the other good heavy shit that we, you know, know and love today from the yesteryears, you know. Yeah. Um, we All we were trying to do was, like, yeah, we did want to emulate it. In, in a certain way, because really I kind of felt like we were more of a thrashy man at the time, because that was what we were more exposed to. And that's where we were. We, we were just constantly trying to focus on getting more aggressive, you know? Yeah. And I think as bands started popping up, you know, like the cryptic slaughters and, you know, Slayer, forget it. The first time I heard haunting the chapel, it fucking blew my fucking hair off. And, you know, that's why I look like this. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, he, he really, it really kind of affected me in such a way to make me want to take my guitar and just fucking play the shit out of it as much as I possibly could, you know? And it also helped the band to push each other to play a little bit more aggressive. So we were kind of trying to outdo ourselves and be more aggressive, each of us. And now it's to a point where it's like very hard for things like that to happen. It's like, how much more aggressively human can we go? And we all were waiting and listening for the bands that come out that really do that and really kind of punch in the nuts, you know what I mean? So for us, it, back in those days, we were really just trying to push ourselves as much as we could. Anything that came out that was aggressive, you know, we were really, we were right on top of it. We were in the mall at the record stores just buying anything that had a sick, evil fucking cover, yeah. you know what I mean? And uh, go from there, you know? 
Well, that's it. I mean, it was quite a, a, a different era compared to the now modern day music and the way uh, that it's being released and all that. Even, yeah, you know, I mean, we talk about going to the record ball and, and picking up your favorite album and you look at the, yeah. um, you know, the cover and all that sort of stuff. Nowadays, we don't even get that. Yeah. Right. It really sort of, it sort of sucks in that. But yeah, you know, I mean, on the other side, we've got some, some pretty awesome bands coming through and all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, our youth are, are picking up. Um, yeah, yeah, where we yeah, left yeah, off and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, you guys got blindfolded and led into the woods. So, I mean, you can't. That's they're fucking nuts, dude. Yeah, you man. Know, at that time, we came and we played out there. We played with them, and uh, I have to say, they were fucking. That's what I mean. They were pushing the envelope of of everything they possibly could to make the music sick. And you know, at that time, that's what we were doing. I think now we kind of found where our sound and niche is over the course of time. And we never want to just guarantee ourselves that we're stuck in that. You know, we want to always try to incorporate new styles, new riff. So we don't only listen to death metal. We kind of do listen to other styles of music too. But, you know, the one that really gets us, it gets our fucking blood flowing is death metal, black metal, the thrash metal, the aggressive stuff that, you know, really brought forth us, you know? Or bands similar to us, you know. Yeah. So um, going back to that 2015 tour that you came down here and played uh, three shows. Oh, yep. mate. I mean, dude, that, that was a sick tour. You got many memories of that? Dude, yo, man, that tour was crazy. And a lot of the memories that I have of are of me trying to get some type of sleep. Because, <laughs> you know, actually, you know, that's the really the hardest part. I mean, we love playing in front of everybody um we love hanging out um you know we like to be a part of the crowd sometime throughout the course of the show and be able to go and check out the show and be able to hang out with fans and sign some autographs and stuff like that but by the end of the day especially out there because every show that we had was really flying you know so it it was just it was really tough because you know from the flights that we'd have to do to get to australia and then have the hub to come down there and then fly those and then do the hub back to Australia and finish that all up. I mean, it was just tough. So, you know, four in the morning, five in the morning, you're finally going to sleep and you're getting three hours worth of sleep and you got to get up and go over to the fucking airport and hop on a plane was kind of tough, you know, but I mean, it was really nice. And other than, other than that, it was just freaking earthquakes because, you know, we don't have like earthquakes here in New York, the way that you guys have them there. Like they would have them in some, like in South America or in like California in the States. There's a lot of places that have them, obviously. But for me to see the place, knowing that we came down there and it was beautiful the very first time we came there uh, with Gareth Craze. And I miss that guy. I think he's here in the States. I'm not sure. What up, Gareth? Anyway, um, you know, it was really beautiful. And we were able to come out there, hang out, have some good food and everything. But the next time, it was just like the schedule was just so tight for us that it was really hard to fucking to to get to hang out, you know, and get to see stuff. And plus, everything was pretty much fucking in shambles because of the earthquakes. So it really didn't give us a lot of time to do much sightseeing and things like that, which kind of sucked. But it's beautiful down there. I wish I could have seen some platypuses and stuff. <laughs> you, no, well, you, just, you just have to come back, mate. Yeah, well, we're trying, but you know, with the fucking pandemic garbage, yeah, you know, yeah. wear a mask, don't wear a mask, take a shot, don't get a shot, get a booster shot. They have fucking 18 different variants. You can't hug your friend, you can't kiss your girlfriend, you can't fuck her now. 
everything sucks. You can't go and have our, you know, your no, normal local uh, holiday together with your family because they don't want you to. It's all just really fucked up everything and it kind of sucks. And, you know, I am really hoping for it to all pan out by next year sometime. At least get it to a point where travel is open and people can go back to their fucking lives. Happen, go go happily see their uh, girlfriends and significant others that are in different countries and shit and be able to play gigs and hang out with your friends around the world again, you know? Oh, man, that's I it. Hope. Hopefully next year, eh, man? Um, yeah. I, I was lucky at the, the Wellington show here in New Zealand. I actually um, hang out with you very briefly there. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, before I mean, the show. I knew you were familiar, but I've, I've played so many fucking shows. It's got happened. Oh, that's a, oh, I didn't expect you to remember. To remember oh, I, will, I will the next time I get that, though. <laughs> that oh, mate, yeah. it was cool. We had a few moments with you. Shared a smoke, and, yeah, oh, it, yeah it was really yeah, cool. Yeah. I had a, a mate with me, and he was just absolutely blowing away to meet you. It was, you know, and dude, See, the show was talking. absolutely killer, mate. Yeah, it was hot is what it was. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it was hot as fuck. It was. It, was that the show that we played with uh, Dawn of Zazel? Uh no, that would have been Auckland. Oh, okay. Yeah, Just make sure. It was fucking beautiful well, like, there. Too. Yeah, yeah. That it was beautiful there too. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it was. Even. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that must be pretty special. My memory's getting bad as I get older. <laughs> it could be all the weed that I smoke, you know. I couldn't be that. Oh, mate, you got to do something, don't you? <laughs> I absolutely do. Got to, you know, got to have to somewhere. Oh, mate, well, that was uh, that, that was part of the special moment that we had. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you must be um, itching to, to get up, out and play shows again. Are you going to be able to play any shows coming up, or is it still yeah. well, well, crazy next, there? Mo- next month, I mean, it was a little bit tough for us over the, over the course of the pandemic. You know, it's been like 18, 19 months since, you know, we've really played anything live, and... You know, my drummer is Canadian, so we have border issues going on with that, getting him back and, back and forth so we can rehearse and maybe play live somewhere and do our thing. Um, but really, yeah, we're itching. So in November, we have um, we play a show in Atlanta, Georgia, here in the States, which is a full terror fest, which should be pretty cool. There's a lot of cool bands. Monstrosity will be playing on that gig, too, with us. Uh, a couple of few other ones. Then from there, we have one local show here on Long Island at a nice, small, intimate place with our friends and stuff because, we, you know, we want to hang out with our friends and play some gigs and stuff. So yeah. we'll be playing with them um, November 14th, I believe. And then um, um, November 19th, we actually have another gig out here in the uh, – out here. Where the hell are we playing? I can't remember. Anyway, we've got a bunch of gigs set up and uh, – we're ready to go as soon as we can get it going. And the sooner that they decide to open up international travel the right way, we should be down there hanging out with you. Oh, mate, we'd love to have you, brother. Absolutely love it. It would be a blast, man. So um, you guys going to be able to do anything to sort of celebrate 30 years uh, since the first release? Well, I mean, you know, other than us just looking at it and going, damn, we're fucking old, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, we, we've all talked about it. I've had some interviews about it. You know, we, we talk about it more and share it with our friends. But I, I think that, you know, the luster is gone after it's hit, like, the first decade because none of us thought we'd even last that long, you know. So for 30 years, man, I'm glad that people actually, um, actually respect the record and they still listen to it to this day because none of us ever 
sincerely from the bottom of my heart ever, ever thought that anybody would really pay attention to suffocation from that point on. And I'm, I'm really heartfelt to let everybody know that, you know, without their support, I couldn't still be here. The band still couldn't be doing things. And, um, you know, we still wouldn't be pursuing this aggressive ass fucking music that we love so much without them listening to it for over 30 years. So big up to you all, man. Thank you so much. More power to you. Metal family forever, you know? Bloody oats, mate. Bloody oats. I mean, that was it. I mean, like, you think about um, other genres and all that sort of thing, to think that you guys are still doing it, and, and I know you're just uh, just past 50, I believe. Yeah, I yeah. mean, did you, did you ever I'm think 51. that... 51! Well, that's it. I mean, did you ever think that at 51 you'd still be playing in death metal bands? No, no, not at all. I'm like, oh, fuck, dude, my back hurts. This sucks. But, <laughs> hey, you know, once you get off the stage and the sweat comes off and, you know... The adrenaline goes down and the smiling faces are there and, you know, you get to hang out with cool bands that you play with and that you get to see that you, you know, always wanted to, you know, experience and stuff like that, man. You know, I, I wouldn't pass it up for the world. I don't care how old I am, you know. Well, that's a bit, I mean, it's that thing that, um, you know, a lot of genres don't have that, that um, sort of longevity. And I get a lot of it's that loyalty as well from the fans that seems to keep we have a very we have a very united army of of metalheads and i mean it's i i could kind of equate it to like let's say the punk rock scene back in the early 70s where it's people who just didn't fit in were more outcasts and drawn together that way and i think that metal metal has done that to a lot of people in the world and um Made it made people realize, you know, even if you're the weird one, the outcast, this, that, or the other thing, that you still have your family and music and a metal and a place to fit in and a place to go. And those people that are a part of the scene are usually some of the nicest people in the world, you know. So that's right, man. Pick up to the metal scene, man. Fucking I got it, brother. I got it. So um, I've got to, I've only got a few moments left with you, so I've got to ask you this question: Have you guys been working on any new material? What, what's you happening? got that shit right, brother. We're about halfway done with the new record. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're slating to uh, put it out on Nuclear Blast, obviously. Um, and we're hoping to have it done. If, if travel and things can stay together the way that they are right now, because, as I said, we were having problems having our drummer be here, have everybody in the same room and get our fucking, get our chemistry together. I mean, we do, we've written like four or five songs already that we have and that we've been pre-producing down here and we still have a lot more material to go to put together. So we're hoping by the middle of next year, we'll have a million. Oh, mate, that's exciting news. Absolutely. Fantastic. Mate. Um, sorry. Blistering music. It's blistering. You know, it's. Oh, mate, that's what we want to hear. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> that's what we want to hear, mate. That's oh, what that's I'm talking about. oh, it's going to have the heavy parts too. You know, it's gonna... <laughs> But yeah, it's it's, it's, yeah. Gonna have some angst. it's got oh. angst. <laughs> oh, well, that's it. I bet you've got so much built up over the last few, the last two years, being stuck at home. You know, yeah, I mean, it's so fucking retarded. I mean, it's. I mean, not that I didn't need a vacation, but I didn't need one this way. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I'm happy that we're all still alive. We're all healthy, and we're all still together. That matters a lot. I'm ha- I'm happy that that's- most of the people that I know that are out there in the world. Uh, are still hanging in there and doing things. Glad the Napalm Death guys were actually able to get into the United States. 
play their gig, man, you know, fucking A. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're just biding our time, going to put our riffs together, make sure everything is cool, and bring it out to you guys and tour our asses off for it as much as we can. Oh, mate, that's absolutely brilliant. We'll be looking forward to it, mate. Okay, yeah, I've got one last question for you before we go. And that sure. is, uh, words of advice for young musicians. Well, I, I hate to be cliche and sound like Bruce Dickinson, but <laughs> first thing is first, stick to your guns. Don't bang your other uh, bandmates' girlfriends. <laughs> Try to respect each other's personal space and property. That would be the first thing, first three things I would tell you, being in a band. The next part of being in a band is make sure that you guys get yourself some music lawyers or something to that effect when you go to sign a record deal. So that way you're not fucking yourself in the long run. Trust me, it's happened to us. Um, Try to really make sure you're sticking to your guns, get the lawyer together. Make sure that you guys are... 100% 100% into the fact that you're going to have to go out there and eat shit for a while in order to get your name. Just know that those things are going to happen because there's no guarantee you're going to get rich and famous. You may get infamous. You're not going to get the money. You know, <laughs> you're going to be taking that $5,000 a gear and a $500 guard to a $50 show. But you got to do it and make sure that everybody is on is in that framework of, yeah. It's time to play. If you can keep those things together that way, you shouldn't have too much of a problem, especially just getting your name out. And I think that in the long run, that people will notice you more. If you stick to your guns, stay together, don't step on each other's toes. Keep that shit out of it, and you guys should be good to go. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hey, welcome to Battle 2 Metal, Metalheads Radio. Local, national and international news, interviews and uh, the latest new releases brought to you by NPR, Battle 2 People's Radio. This section we were lucky enough to talk to Stefan from the band Obscura. Uh, first off, we're going to have a track from their newest album, uh, When Stars Collide, and then we'll get straight in, then we'll get into the interview. Yeah. 
G'day, we're talking with Stephen from the band Obscura. They're uh, about to release their newest album, A Valediction, on November the 19th. Not far away now, Stephen. Indeed, we are looking forward to release our brand new record. We are based in Germany on the other side of the planet, so pleasure talking to you. Uh, and likewise, mate. And that's it. I mean, it feels like so far away. We're very lucky, thanks to the internet, that it uh, makes these things uh, a lot closer. Um, so anyway, um, first off, I'd like to ask you about um, the, the album cover and who the artist was that you had do um, the album cover for you and some of the meaning behind it. Well, the album cover was created by Elira and Cantor, um, a wonderful artist who is uh, now located in uh, Germany. He's, uh, I think, uh, his origin is in uh, in Israel, and he worked for many, many, many big artists in the past, like uh, Testament, Halloween, just to mention a few, Heaven Shall Burn, and more. And I choose him simply because I worked for a very long time with another artist. But uh, when we uh, finished a big chapter for the band, a four album, well, uh, quadrilogy that has been connected, um, I was looking for something new, like a new chapter, something simply new from scratch, but still keeping somehow the arrangement of the artwork uh, as we did in the past. So I reached out to Elirin Kanto. I sent him all the different colors I had, all the different ideas, playlists, uh, pre-production, and everything I just had, and gave him all all ideas as input. And he simply showed back this uh, quite clear, simple, but at the same time, I would I would call it or consider it a, a poetic meaning-driven uh, artwork. Uh, you see in the very center, uh, the, the main character, a person, uh, which is uh, a rather symmetric, uh, how you call it, a symmetric arrangement of uh, the entire artwork. And around that, you see a second person that holds it. And therefore, it's uh, somehow representing to be connected and disconnected at the same time. And this is, uh, well, just leading to the album title of a addiction, which means farewell. And therefore, you you could interpret this artwork in, in many different ways. And therefore, it's just fitting perfectly to the record. Excellent. So um, you just talked about how the, the last lot of albums were all connected and everything. I understand this new one is the start of a trilogy. Is that correct? And if so, could you tell us a little bit about the story or some of the messages that you, you're looking to move through this trilogy? Well, a valediction simply is the first start on a, on a blank paper for this band, simply because we did not only change the producer, we also changed uh, the record label we are working with. We uh, had some uh, changes within the lineup and also finished this, this long chapter uh, that is behind us. So therefore, a valediction itself means farewell, means uh, uh, like a last goodbye just fits perfectly to end of your life and start something new. So A Valediction is the first album of a trilogy. There will be two more albums being released in the next couple of years. But um, the driven color of this album is bronze. And the next one will be silver and the one afterwards golden. So I already have uh, like the framework of this trilogy set in stone. 
I have the album titles, I have the colors, I have um, a couple of song titles, some definitions where we are going to musically and lyrically. And therefore, it's a, well, it, it's like a connection of three albums within a concept, but it's not that stiff. Yes. So the, the previous one was really, really stiff, and it was not only a guideline, it was basically dictating you what you have to do musically and lyrically. Now it's a little bit more open-minded. The entire band shifted from the rather abstract, um, yeah, spacey-themed uh, music and lyrics we had uh, within the last 15 years towards something more, well, I would call it uh, human. I wanted to underline the, the human touch in everything. The artwork we just talked about in the very beginning is now painted in oil on canvas. Uh, the previous ones have been um, created with, I think, Photoshop or some, some other uh, graphic design program. The, the production got shifted from being very polished and very clean towards something, well, more human. Um, it's more raw, it's more pure. You hear, you hear a real band performing. And the lyrics as well. Being very abstract in the past, now with the start of this new trilogy, A Valediction, they got a little bit more, I would consider it personal or private, so to say, in some, in some parts and uh, more digestible, in my opinion. Oh, mate, that's absolutely awesome. So could you tell us a little bit about that writing of recording process that you guys went through i mean because i understand you got different band members and that as well this time around well the, the entire recording process changed a little bit since the pandemic hit europe uh, also quite hard and uh, travel restrictions prevented the, the band members to to join studio we have booked initially so uh, we had to record all instruments in national studios the drums in austria um, the bass in the netherlands guitars in Germany, but I was flying over to uh, to Sweden, to Gothenburg, recording acoustic guitars and vocals with Fredrik Nordström at Fredman Sound Studio. And this was definitely something that helped, um, well, to establish the entire band sound a little bit more, since uh, we blended all the music and all the, the signature sounds we have in the band with the expertise and, well, the experience of... Uh, of Fredrik Nordstrom and his, well, um, well, I think his 30-year-long uh, recordings and everything he did in between. So um, we sent over an amplifier from Engel Amps to Sweden. We recorded all the guitars at home, so we had a certain setup. But with the studio magic of Fredrik Nordstrom, we combined this Swedish well, attitude you might hear in bands like In Flames or At The Gates, especially in the guitar sound, with the rather technical and progressive approach we already have in our sound. So the best of both worlds, I would say. Oh, mate, that's absolutely brilliant. So how much of the album did you go and um, pre-written yourself? Because, I, I mean, I know you're a multi-instrumentalist and you do a lot of the composing and stuff yourself. How much of it did you go in with and how much did the other guys get involved and help you polish it? To me, each album is a collective effort. And um, every every character in the band has his position in the band and if you would change one of the uh, instrumentalists or one of the members it would sound different because i always try to 
underline each character's strength. For example, we have a, uh, a new drummer in the band uh, where speed is no limit at all. He can blast oh, up to 360, 270 BPM, no problem at all. If I know those strengths and the, the characteristics, of course, I try to write songs in this in this vein. If I have a drummer that is uh, extremely well uh, on cymbal work, then I give a little bit more room towards this. And therefore, I, I wouldn't point out who did what on, on an album. It's uh, just a collective effort. And I'm very proud of everyone who uh, contributed in any way to the album. And sometimes it's the guitarists who, who deliver, well, an interesting idea or a full song. Sometimes the drummer is uh, spicing up everything and uh, puts a song upside down because he changed the rhythm and therefore the entire pace and feel of a of a song. So for me, it's a it's a big picture and uh, everybody has his position. Oh, mate, that's brilliant. So how would you how does the music come to you? How do you um, to create music? I mean, do you hear music as a whole song or do you hear a like a um, like a riff or a C something. How does the music come to you? Um, that's a good question, and uh, that differs from time to time. When we write music, first of all, we talk together and what what kind of aims we have. And for a valediction, especially, we. Well, we came to the conclusion that we spend much more time on the road instead of in the studio. So we love studio work, but we prefer being on the road, playing shows. And therefore, we decided to write music uh, always in your head um, with the, the well idea how to transform or translate it into a life situation. So when we... When we wrote Forsaken with the guitar duels, we already had in our mind how this would look on stage, like shooting over leads from one guitarist to the other, um, working with the drum interludes and all that. So this album was made for the stage. And therefore, we also sometimes had just a certain situation on stage. Sometimes there has been a couple of riffs. Some songs took, I think, months to, to finish and assemble and others probably an afternoon. So it's really hard to, to answer your, uh, your question. Yeah. No, no, that's cool. So uh, another sort of semi hard question is how do you uh, talk about finding the connection between the music and the lyrics? I mean, like when you're creating music, is, is there something that you have in mind already? I mean, like you might be crashing, smashing out a riff. I mean, is there something in mind that you have while you're doing that, or is it just pure notes and you later on go and find a way to attach to the lyrics? Well, first of all, we, we decide a direction where we are going to. Uh, that means we talk about what what kind of vibe an album should have. Should it be rather aggressive? Should it be uh, dark, uplifting, um, maybe bittersweet, something in between, forward, um, rather laid back? Who knows? So we, we talk a little bit about that. And first of all, there's always the music. So we write an entire song. Uh, we pre-produce it. And then I start um, working on, well, vocal lines. And once the vocal lines are there, 
I do a pre-production of that. And with this pre-production, I have more or less all my patterns, how many verses I need, how many choruses, how many well question marks here and there to add uh, a little bit more magic, a little bit more choirs or, or keyboards or something. And then I'm starting writing lyrics. So it's pretty much um, separated from each other. It all starts with a certain vibe we want to generate with the music, then we write the music and afterwards um, I add the lyrics that are fitting rhythmic, rhythmically and uh, stylistically to the music that has been there from, from scratch. Excellent. So uh, uh, how do you find, um, and for uh, quite often bands will um, struggle with finding the balance between technicality and melody. So sometimes they can um, push too hard for the technicality and can, you can lose your melody and lose your, your song through just trying overkill. Um, but it can also go the other way. How do you personally find find that balance? For me, it's a matter of taste. Sometimes um, you need this uh, out of your toolbox, uh, this uh, technical technical approach to, um, well, translate your idea into music. But sometimes a song can be very simple and effective in the same way. And for me personally, there is no right or wrong. Uh, we toured with a man called um, Art Spire from Canada and the US. This is completely insane. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pure insanity, but it's a fantastic live band and uh, quite funny to watch. And uh, they're fantastic people. And on the other hand, there are some old rock songs that consider probably two riffs and maybe a super simple beat and they work as well. So for me, the big picture counts, not um, a single a single part. But if you're trying to perform music you are not able to meh, maybe that's something you should well think of uh, think about again <laughs> yeah oh mate that's awesome so um for this album you were lucky enough you had uh bjorn from um the soil work come in um and, and help along with the track and how, how did that come about how much fun was that <laughs> that was uh, quite spontaneous because it was not planned at all so uh, when I was flying over to, to Gothenburg, recording vocals, we decided to record only two songs a day. And before we were starting recording tracking, we listened through the entire pre-production, talked a little bit like, hey, which direction should be this part? Should we double here and there? Should we add some, some more studio magic here? And somewhere on a side note, I mentioned here in this part, I would like to do something, yeah, you know, the, the band's oil work and Mr. Nordstrom in his funny Swedish accent just said, oh, by the way, I recorded probably 10 albums with uh, Bjorn Street. If you want to sound like Solwerk, <laughs> we just call him. And uh, within three days, we simply had uh, Bjorn Street on the album. He delivered immediately fantastic performance. And that's that's one of those proud moments where you just let things go and see what happens. And it turns out into an entire success. I'm super proud of having Bjorn on the album. I'm a fan of the Nightflight Orchestra and Solwerk alike. And it's just fantastic. He's He spices up the entire song. Great. Oh, he's a pretty magical musician. Eh? I mean, I, I, must, I, I enjoy both his band, Soul Work and Nightflight Orchestra. He just, he's got so much going for him. Eh? He's a very, very talented man. He's so underrated. I think he could, well, perform in any band and it would work. From extreme metal to uh, AOR, 
hard rock, whatever. He he fits anywhere. You just place him on the stage and bah, <laughs> he delivers. Oh, he sure does. He's a pretty magical dude. Um, anyway, back to your band. Um, so uh, you put out a few videos and all that. So could you tell us, are you guys, are you very involved with that? Um, how much of the, um, the storylines and all that sort of stuff do you guys personally get involved with? Or is it something that is pre-done for you? No, um, that's my department from the very first day. And uh, until 2018, I produced all music videos myself for the band. And afterwards, we simply hired um, a friend called uh, Mirkowitzki, who also worked for Arch Enemy and uh, Creator and a couple of more quite famous bands. And uh, he helped with all the camera work. So um, I'm writing all scripts and I'm basically the producer of the music videos while he's taking care of camera work cutting everything and uh, add some some more names on that. So um, with the music videos represents when it comes to the colors and uh, visual, well, visual department, exactly what we do with the uh, with the album, the, the photos, artwork, layout, music videos, everything has to, to connect to each other. And all the, the four videos, uh, the four music videos, although they are entirely different, they are, when it comes to uh, like the effects and camera work, they are connected within this look. So we created a certain uh, cineastic look we used for all the four albums on purpose, all the four um, music videos on purpose. And there will be even more uh, videos uh, being published in the next year. So we have even more in the pipeline and more interesting projects to be released quite soon. Oh, mate, that's absolutely brilliant. I was going to touch briefly on um, different formats and things like that. I mean, because of the whole changing face of the industry, I mean, it must be quite difficult to to be forever moving with the way things are, especially with how COVID's affected things. Yeah, I mean, but I noticed one of the awesome things that you do, for instance, is the, the tablature books and things like that. I mean, for music fans, that's an incredibly important thing, but a lot of bands don't do that. Yeah, that's true. And um, in this extreme metal scene, uh, I think we have been one of the first who brought back this tradition. Because when I started playing guitar, I also bought uh, tablature books from Malmsteen, um, Metallica, Megadeth. Um, all of those, all of those notes, sheet music was available in in stores and in extreme yep. metal. Well, if if you just think about the the in this case, the guitars, the instruments, it's really demanding. And if you, well, want to, want to learn a little bit more and uh, develop your skills on the guitar, it's so helpful to have those those tabs. And um, when I started guitar, I would have loved to, well, get a Morbid Angel tab ledger book or Cannibal Corpse tab ledger book in my hands because this is what oh, I wanted yeah. to play. But it, back in the days, you simply had to, well, listen and, well, assume because it was full of gain and, well, the productions have been quite muddy. But <laughs> somehow you have to discover yourself how it works. But with those books, it's so much easier. And uh, the feedback we get from the fans is fantastic. So um, it's overwhelming, to be honest. And to make it even a little bit easier... We also um, give backing tracks for free. So we got a little bit of feedback from from the fans and they, they 
mentioned yet, uh, awesome to play along, but um, it would be even better if we have, for example, bass and uh, drum mixes only. And so we just gave them for free. And therefore, it's it's our own community within the band's fan base. All the instruments, uh, instrumentalists are their, their own community, so to say. And it's quite funny to follow this. Oh, mate, that's absolutely brilliant, man. That's really, really cool. I mean, and that's something that, I mean, not many artists do. So, you know, it is a big deal, man. I really appreciate that. Well, it's it's always, uh, as you mentioned before, uh, being being in balance, not only writing music, but also everything around. And I see it that way. I'm I'm a fan of this kind of music myself. And if I'm not sure about a decision, I always ask myself if I'm a fan of this band would I think this is cool or this is stupid hmm. <laughs> <laughs> as easy as, as it sounds this helps a lot for example um, same goes for the artworks what we talked about in the beginning we put a lot of effort in all the artworks in all the layouts it takes a lot of lot of time but it turns out that um, the vinyl editions of all the records are real collector's items these days because they, yes. they look uh, similar, they they are like well, if you want if you earn, uh, own one of them or two, you want to have all of them because it's like a series. And this yeah. all together, yeah. I mean, I'm a collector myself, and uh, it simply works like that. And people, and especially metal fans, they understand exactly if you're honest, if you um, if you like what you do, and if you put a lot of work in it. Some, sometimes here and then I get even messages from fans that are um, just amazed by the fact how much detail work we, we put, for example, in the Omnivium vinyl back in the days with extra colors and extra pressings and all that. And this is rewarding. And if you have this product in your own hands, it's, well, a feeling better than many, many other things on this planet. <laughs> oh, no, damn straight, mate. And I'm a vinyl lover myself, so I know exactly what that's like. And, you know, it is a pretty special thing. And, you know, um, being able to have that whole package, I mean, especially for vinyl, that's what I love, just being able to open up and see all the different bits and all the extra effort that you guys put into it. You know, you get to appreciate it through vinyl. Um, I mean, you can still get that through CD, but you lose it in digital, um, and, and that's it. So, you know, vinyl is something quite special. Anyway, I've only got a few moments left with you, so I've got two questions before I let you go. First off, are you guys going to be able to do a release show and any touring coming up? Yes, we booked a North American tour that will be published, I think, in the next couple of days. We are uh, heading towards the United States and Canada covering both countries with i think 50 shows and uh, for september october next year we booked uh, a european tour which is announced already and there, there's much more to come hopefully we're also able to come back to australia new zealand japan and uh well play some sometimes more for you for the previous album uh, we we hit wellington for one off show which was definitely Something I never thought I, I'm being able to to come over because it's definitely on the other side of the planet. And playing Australia and New Zealand was something special. We never thought when we started playing with this band uh, probably 20 years ago, touring the world. So that was definitely definitely one of the coolest things we did with the band so far. 
Oh, mate, well, you're always welcome back here. So, you know, we'd love to have you. We know it's difficult times at the moment, especially with the whole COVID thing. It makes it very difficult to get anywhere. But once that is over, um, we would love to have you back down here. Pleasure. Anytime it's possible, I, I would love to fly over. Oh, mate, that's absolutely fantastic news. Okay, I've got one last question for you before we go, and that is words of advice for young musicians. The most important part of making music is in, to enjoy it, and even better if you enjoy it with friends. It doesn't matter if you are successful or, or not, just keep up the joy of making music together. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. G'day and welcome to Battle 2 Metal, Metalheads Radio. Local, national and international news, interviews and our latest new releases... Brought to you by NPR, Battle of Two Peoples Radio. And for this section, we were lucky enough to talk to Emma from the band Dying Wish. First off, we're going to play the track Cowards Feed, Cowards Bleed. Uh, then we'll have the interview and we'll finish it off with one more track, An Eight Thirst. We're talking with Emma from the band Dying Wish. They just released their new album on the uh, 1st of October, if I'm correct, uh, Fragments of a Bitter Memory. 
Uh, how are you going today, Emma? I'm well. How are you doing? Uh, very good, thank you. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about um, how you guys came together and all that sort of thing? Because I understand you guys are a fairly young band. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would just turned 27 a couple months ago, so I don't feel super young, but um, we <laughs> formed in um, 2018. So we were, you know, still kind of in our early 20s and mid 20s. So um, uh, some of us have been friends for well over a decade and um, just kind of formed naturally here in, in Portland in the U.S. Oh, that's awesome. So um, you guys have released a few EPs and splits and stuff as well. So this isn't your first recording, is it? It is not, no. We have a, a demo out and a split with a band from um, Alberta in Canada named Serration. Oh, man, that's absolutely fantastic. So it's not your first rodeo then? Um, not quite. I mean, writing an LP is a bit of a different experience um, than, you know, just doing a, a couple of songs. But um, <laughs> we had been out there before. Yeah. Oh, mate. that sounds like fantastic. So could you tell us a little bit about the, the writing and recording process that you guys went through? Yeah, um, we were in the studio for five weeks in Belleville, New Jersey with uh, Randy. Um, and we wrote a majority of the record in studio um and it was the first time we'd ever kind of um you know it was during covid so we were very isolated there and so there wasn't any distractions we were able to just um be there in the studio and create the full length oh man, that's absolutely killer um so could, was there um, any other guests on the album um yeah so uh we have uh, Tyler Norris from the band Foreign Hands. He also um, plays in Wrist Meat Razor and Simulacra and some other uh, bands from the Northeast of the U.S. And then um, Brian from Noxalus as well. Oh, mate, that's absolutely fantastic. It must be fun to have some other people in the studio with you. Or did they get yeah, to come um, in and do it? They didn't. Um, we did see Noxalus in the studio briefly, but um, they we didn't, you know, we just hung out for a day. We didn't um, get to, you know, record anything while we were there oh got it <laughs> excellent so could you tell us a little bit about the uh, lyrical inspiration and, and some of the topics that you look at uh, on the album yeah um a lot of what we do um you know there's some personal things that i talk about as far as like um you know trauma that i have experienced and then we also talk about um, some socioeconomic political issues as well. Um, we're very passionate about that and, um, you know, the way that the suffering impacts everyone and not just, you know, uh, ourselves. And um, so there's there's a lot of heavy topics on the record for sure. Oh, that's awesome. So how does the music come to you? How do you get triggered or, or what is it that... Um how that helps you write your lyrics or inspires you to write your stuff right well um a lot of the times you know it's like the music um like the title track on the record that song instrumentally just I feel like tells a story in itself so I wanted to make sure that I was able to do it justice and you know write the the proper lyrics to it um but a lot of what inspires me you know I um it's kind of like a diary entry. Some of the songs that I write, you know, I will go through and like write, you know, uh, like a 
kind of compartmentalize everything that's going on in my head at the time and, you know, write down the things that I'm going through and then I'll revisit them later and, you know, turn it into a song. Oh, that's absolutely fantastic. So do you, uh, does it just sort of like um, you, you'll, you'll have some thoughts will come to you, some phrases or all that sort of stuff, or, or do you ever get like a complete song will come to you or anything like that? Um, so a lot of the songs on the record I wrote from scratch, um, in the studio while we were there. So, um, a couple of those songs, you know, it was like a complete moment. Um, and then, you know, some of them were just like bits and pieces, uh, of things going on in my head at times that I'd written down, you know, throughout months or even years. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah. Well, there's always years and years of stuff built up. Um, so, um, Finding the connection between um, the music and lyrics. I mean, you you say that, I mean, like the the first song on the album, instrumentally, you knew what the lyrics were going to be, if you know what I mean. How do you find that connection? I mean, because, I mean, like most of us will just hear the music and go, well, how do you associate? I mean, it's how do you, you know what I mean? Yeah. um, So, like, for example, um, songs like Now You'll Rot and Blood Lace Misery, like, those are uh, kind of much heavier songs, um, same as like Innate Thirst and Enemies. And the lyrics on those songs are a lot more vicious. And I just feel like it flows with the energy of the music. And as far as like, you know, Mourning and Fragments of a Bitter Memory and um, Cold Hearts and Bloom, like those are definitely more vulnerable, softer topics to talk about. And um, the the music itself is very melodic. So um, it I, I would say it's one of those answer or like questions I don't really know how to answer because a lot of it comes naturally with, with time and practice though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, and and for some people, you know, like they, if they're um, like a a guitarist, they'll they'll hear things as they're they're writing and they'll sort of see that lyrically as well. So, I mean, it's easier for in some ways for that rather than just being a a vocalist uh, and lyricist. Um, I mean, do you play instruments yourself? Um, I don't, I've basically just invested all of my, um, time and energy into singing and, um, doing vocals. I do know how to like plunk out a little bit of piano, but if I could play, learn how to play any instrument, I would definitely learn how to play drums. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. So, um, making the videos and all that sort of stuff. I mean, that must've been fun first off, but um, secondly, how much of the the band's direction is involved or yourself, uh, or is it much um, some director comes in and tells you what to do sort of thing? How, how does that work for you with you guys? Yeah. I mean, we pretty much wrote the scripts for all of those videos um, with the assistance of Eric Easterday, who um, was the director of the video, but, um, like for example, fragments that music video um, that was basically just like me telling a story, and you know we kind of all sat together and wanted to you know come up with the stories ourselves, and Eric really just assisted with um, you know making it come to life the way that we expected. Oh, mate, that's absolutely awesome. I mean, and that's it. I mean, that's what you're wanting to happen. I mean, quite often you see these big bands with these big budgets and all that sort of stuff, and they're videos get railroaded um or, or some other vision i mean it must be pretty self-satisfying pretty satisfying to you know to be able to do that yourself and, and know that your vision's coming out yeah absolutely and um i mean our label 
since day one of signing that contract, uh, Sharptone has just like completely allowed us the freedom to do everything that we wanted to do and has believed in us. And I think everyone on our team has, you know, really believed in us and our vision. Oh, that's absolutely awesome to hear. So were you able to do any release shows around the um, the time of release for this? And, and are you guys going to be able to get out and tour? I mean, it's pretty crazy times out there. It is. Um, we just did a full U.S. tour with Motionless and White and Silent Planet. And um, we were, you know, out and about in the Midwest the, the, at the time that the record came out. So um, a couple of weeks later, we came home and did a couple of release shows here in the Northwest. Um, and we plan on, we're actually leaving in two days to go on another full U.S. with the Acacia Strain and Kublacon and Orthodox. Oh, wow. I mean, it must be pretty uh, surreal getting to go out on tour with these uh, big bands and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you guys are, like I mean, said earlier, a young band three years in um, with a full album and going out and touring with bands like Motionless and White and that, you know, I mean, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, bands like Motionless and White and the Acacia Strain are both bands that we grew up listening to when we were, you know, just in middle school. So um, it's pretty it's pretty cool to see. Oh, mate, that's epic. Eh? I mean, it's a pretty special thing to see as well. I mean, you know, taking out the older bands, taking out the young ones, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Not that you're that young, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so um, I wanted to touch briefly on the, the changing face of the music industry, especially with um, the whole COVID thing. And, and how's that going to affect you guys? What sort of thoughts have you got in mind i mean because people are doing all sorts of different marketing ploys and all this sort of stuff. how do you get around that nowadays um it's really difficult because um unfortunately i think that we have handled the pandemic very poorly um and there are some live music venues that are setting a wonderful example um you know with masking and um, you know, requiring either a vaccination or a negative test. And like, I think that that is the future of a successful and safe and protected industry. Um, but unfortunately, here in the US, there are not a lot of states that want to comply with that. Um, so uh, you basically are taking the, you know, you're rolling the dice when you go out there on the road as far as like, are we going to get sick? You know, like, um, are we going to be 3000 miles away from home and have to turn around and come home because the tour's canceled? So um, it's it's difficult. But, you know, we all have a personal responsibility at this point that we have to fulfill. And I think as long as we're all doing that, then we should be safe and, um, you know, protect the future of the industry. That's right. Oh, no, that's awesome. And that's it. I mean, it's heartbreaking to hear some of the stories of bands going out and uh, like trouble. Uh, I mean, the, the dudes from the skull went out and Eric Wagner passed away, you know, and then you hear of Jonathan Davis getting it COVID and, and it's, it's just, oh, it's crazy, isn't it? It's <laughs> the easiest way to it. It is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, it's going to, it's nothing will ever be the same. So as long yes. as we understand that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty mind blowing to think about, you know, especially in, in in the speed and acceleration of how quick it's happened. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're down here in New Zealand, and it's pretty. Uh, we've had it pretty sweet so far. But I mean, what's it like over there? Yeah, you know, I mean, must be uh, pretty crazy. Spe- I mean, like especially with no gigs and all that sort of stuff. We've had. Uh, probably the last year we've been able to have shows. Um, but I know that for you guys, it's only been not even six months of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I went to my first show at the end of August, so it's only really been a couple months um, since things have been, you know, revving up and getting back to normal. Um, I think the Delta variant really kind of scared a lot of people that thought that, you know, we're vaccinated and things are going back to normal. But um, yeah, so uh, it's it's not um, it's not great <laughs> out here, but you know, we're we're I I think that a lot of us are doing the best we can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good to see some of the big shows are, are, are being put on, you know, like there's that, there was that big Psycho Vegas and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's some mm-hmm. pretty cool stuff happening over there, but it's, you know, it's slow to trickle down to down to where we are. <laughs> right, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it'll take longer than we expect to have our borders open and, you know, having bands touring internationally. Well, that's it. Um, yeah, and that's devastating for a lot of the industry. And it's not even just the artists. It's like you say, the venues and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah. How important is it now that um, us as fans get out there and buy merch and things like that? Um, I would say it's more you know, important than ever. Bands have um, a lot of bands have collected debt over the last couple of years, you know, because they um, put out a record like right before or mid pandemic that, you know, they weren't able to tour off of. So there, um, wasn't an opportunity for them to, you know, recoup any costs or anything. So I would say like, if you're in a position where you can purchase merch, not even at a merch table, but like online from bands, I think it's super helpful to, you know, allow bands to get those funds so that we can get back to being, being on the road and, you know, recording music and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's it. I mean, we've been fairly lucky. A lot of the um, touring uh, touring uh, agencies down here, for instance, and the promoters are now turned themselves into record stores um, to help get things through. And so, you know, for um, us fans, we just get out there and buy the records and, you know, try and do it that way because, you know, it's got to be tough times. Uh, how did you guys uh, approach that coming into, I mean, because you guys would have known that, um, you were going to release an album at the basically at the arse end of a pandemic and not even sure if it's going to go through. Yeah. Um, well, when I, I think we kind of waited to put out the record, we waited pretty much a year. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know how our timing was so sweet because we had the release date of October in March. And so, you know, I wasn't even vaccinated yet. So it was, we kind of were taking a gamble for sure, but I think that we all kind of at this point, um, it's working out okay. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. Well, I've only got a few moments left with this. I've got one last question for you before we let you go. And that is uh, words of advice for young musicians. Um, you are your um yeah let's see if if you if you don't believe in yourself nobody else will and um to uh treat your art and your uh bandmates with um love kindness and understanding through the process
you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Welcome to Battle 2 Metal, Metalheads Radio. Local, national and international on Access Battle 2, triple nine AM. This show may contain content which may offend someone out there. These are views reflected by the presenters and not that of the station. Feel free to contact us if you have any issues. And for this section we're going to have some a, a whole lot of tracks from the band Sick Old Man. They're a punk band from Auckland. Uh, they feature Andy Young who used to live here in the Manawa too and has played in multiple metal bands. Uh, around uh, the Manawatu and Horafenua. So, um, without further ado, we're going to actually play the whole of their EP and another track, Plague Medicus. But um, first off, we're going to have their, um, how is it pronounced, Tribunus Plebis uh, EP. We're going to have the, that's the title track, then there's Carpe Vinium, uh, Outflanked, and the track Skull Man. And then we're going to have a track, Barber Crescut. Capit Nesket. Um, so, without further ado, here's some sick old man. Uh, they are incidentally playing in the uh, Palmy at the uh, Snails tonight. Um, get along if you can. I think they're first up, so go along, see Andy. Andy. <laughs> 